Hello, liminal space, wanderers, dreamers, lingerers, dreamless sleepers, everybody. Um, I'd like to take a minute or a few minutes or even a few seconds to introduce myself. And this is unscripted too and I'm not used to this, so expect me to stutter and ramble quite a bit. That said, you know, I might edit this. And I'm, I'm not too sure. I might edit it, cut it short, and you know, cut away some embarrassing stuttering of mine. Anyway, if you're watching this on the video platform, you'll be presented this. You'll be presented with a slideshow of liminal space photos. You know, I'm not sure there's artworks that I have available, but I think it's pretty much you know photos taken by people, liminal space enthusiasts such as myself. And talking about liminal space enthusiast, I am Taha Fazila, a fiction author and liminal space enthusiast. And I've been a liminal space enthusiast. Well, that's I've said liminal space enthusiast too much, but yes, I am a liminal space enthusiast, and I've always been, even before I knew the term. The term liminal space existed. Um, as such, in my fictional works, I tend to depict a lot of liminal spaces. I I wrote about them a lot. I described them quite in detail. Um, abandoned places, dark, empty places, and particularly in Butterflies, my psychological horror novel, which is available exclusively on my website as of now. I don't really have any plans to to put them up on any other outside market, but it's just available on my website. Um, that's byemberlight.com b-y-e-m-b-e-r-l-i-g-h-t dot com um I think that's about it yeah alright let's get started with the story episode 2 lights out diner There is a flight of stairs with 30 treads leading up to a glass room. The ceiling and walls in this stairwell are midnight blue. There are two windows in the wall on the way up, one that is at the 10th step and the other at the 20th step. There are no lights apart from the warm lighting carried over from the end of the stairwell, as well as the lights from outside the two windows. And Zobozan climbs the staircase up to the tenth tread and looks out the window. Outside there is an airport lobby with its lights out. The row of steel seats look onto the airport apron with tall glass walls between the waiting zone and the boarding zone. There are no airplanes out there and there are no passengers waiting to board the inexistent airplanes. Street lights stand tall in the empty airport apron beaming their brilliant lights that no other eyes will see but Enzo's. He wants to go out there and stand in the airport apron, but he cannot simply walk through the window. So he further ascends the stairs up to the twentieth tread where there is the second window in the wall, and he looks through it. Outside there is a small indoor basketball court with its floor green and its walls blue and white. There is a single wooden chair in the middle. This must be the second or third level of the airport. But why would there be a basketball court in an airport? 
Perhaps it is meant for the staff where they can take a break after work or during their lunch breaks. In that manner, it is probably used more as a relaxing area than a basketball court. Pressing his face against the window, he takes in as much as what he can see of the far right and left. It is bare. There are only the two basketball hoops fixed into the walls at the far ends of the court, and there is the wooden chair in the middle. On the right, there is a white door mocking Enzo over his inability to enter the basketball court. How can he get there? Even if he could break this window, it is too much a tight space for him to squeeze through it. All he can do is exit the stairwell and then find the normal way there. Through the white door. And so he treads up the staircase and out of the stairwell, where he is greeted with a portion of the cold air that is outside the glass room. In the center of the ceiling, there is a downlight that casts its orange glow around the room and reflects off the glass walls. Surrounding the room is an open parking garage. There is no ceiling and walls outside, so Enzo can see as far as the night sky and the heavy fog allows him to, and he can hardly see as far as the edge of the parking garage, even when there are lights scattered throughout. The cold inside the glass room is only a portion of the cold outside, but it is enough for him to rub his hands together for the warmth. He looks back at the stairwell he had just exited to find that there are only five threads left, and that it is cut off from there, leaving only a gaping hole. It overlooks an indoor swimming pool, and there are no lights down there. The downline in the glass room glimmers on the water in the indoor swimming pool. Now Enzo must decide, does he want to go down or go out, indoors or outdoors, small space or big space. He switches his gaze between the parking garage and the swimming pool. Then he decides. He can go out and then go down later, but he probably can't go down and then climb back up and go out later. Because from the looks of it, there is no way up from down there, and going down means cannonballing down. Standing beside the door, he presses his hand and face against the glass and gets a view of what he will be going out to. At first he thought that there were two little cars parked out there for him to see any, but he now realizes that there are no cars parked on this parking garage. Is this heaven? Enzo grabs the doorknob, twists it, and pulls the door open. The cold wind rushes in, pushing him back a small step. Pushing against the wind, he steps outside and begins his walk towards the unseeable edge. Several steps ahead, he turns back and looks at the cozy glass room he had just exited. It glows, its orange lights most of what's visible about it through the fog. He walks backwards until the orange light is all that he can see. Then he turns back around to find that the edge of the parking garage is nearly visible now. There is a lamppost there. Wind gusts pass through concrete, metals, glasses, and it is like a lifeless orchestra of lost things. Finally, he reaches the edge of the parking garage, holding the lamppost and leaning on it at the end of his walk. He peers through the mist to see what lies beyond. First, he directs his gaze down below. This level he stands on is high above the ground, but he can see the glow of city lights. A city that shines bright for no reason. Nobody is down there. 
The only person here is standing on the highest level of the parking garage. Narrowing his eyes, he looks ahead. Now that is where he wants to go next. A humongous abandoned construction project. What kind of building needs to be that big? It doesn't make sense. But nothing here needs to make sense because Anzo is dreaming. He looks down at his palms and finds that there are no wrinkles. He pinches his nose shut and finds that he can still breathe. This is a dream. As soon as he realizes this, he lets himself float off the ground and over to the abandoned building. It is as if the cold wind embraces him and carries him there. Enzo opens his eyes and stares at the ceiling. He did not manage to float his way entirely across to the abandoned building in the dream. And though there is a tiny ache of disappointment sitting in his chest, he is at least glad that he had had the privilege to receive such a dream. For a few moments more, he lies in bed and begs for at least an image to pop into his head, an image of his feet landing on the edge of the opening in the dream building ahead of him. That is all he wants for now. So he closes his eyes and calls forth the image, the chill when the wind engulfed him with its cold wings, how it whistled in his ears, how it carried him over to where he wanted to go. For only a second he is back in the dream, and his foot touches the edge of an opening in the building the millisecond reality calls him back. This is enough. Now Enzo can proceed with his wake-up routine. He makes his bed, takes a bath, brushes his teeth, and then pours himself a glass of warm water and sits on the chair by his window. The fog today is not as heavy as most days. Today he can see the small hill and the small tree in the grassland ahead. Perhaps today he will spend some time sitting within the long distance between the vacant detached house on the right and the large tree on the left. He will sit at the top of the shallow hill and look onto the small tree in the grassland. An idea springs into his head. He will take this chair over there, but before he sits there, he will go and get himself a cup of black coffee at the roadside coffee stall. And later tonight, he will visit Lights Out Diner. It had been five months since he had been there. The last time he was there, he had had coffee and watched snowflakes fall onto the road outside his window. When he woke up, without him knowing when he fell asleep, it was in half an hour before morning, which meant that the Lights Out Diner was closing soon. From Mondays to Saturdays, Lights Out Diner opens after sunset and closes before sunrise. Whenever he planned on going, he would usually reach there at midnight. He would spend up to four hours binging on coffee and watching the road outside until he falls asleep. And he hardly ever knows when he falls asleep. He would only wake up with his arms wrapped around his head and his last coffee a gulp away from finishing. What makes Lights Out special is the interior layout. All cubicles are closed off from the neighboring cubicles, and they are all lined up along the glass panel that looks out at the silent road. Over there, there is only Enzo in his cubicle with his coffee and the dull view outside the window. The diner never switches any lights on. They only keep the fixtures in the ceiling, and they have lampposts outside, but there are no bulbs in any of them. 
There are only the street lights outside which they do not own, but without those street lights, nobody inside would be able to see anything. It is their only source of lighting, this and the starlight. Enzo gulps down what is left of his warm water and then gets dressed and ready to go outside. He grabs the chair by his window and brings it with him when he leaves his house. Standing in the corridor outside, he looks up at the ceiling and ponders his plan. His hands rest atop the backrest. He will place his chair by the roadside, at the top of the shallow downslope leading down to the grassland. But before he sits there, he will go get a coffee at the coffee stall. So he will need to carry this chair outside, put it there, double back, and get his car from the parking lot, then head out for his coffee. While he is at it, he might as well get three cups of coffee. This is the plan, a long drawn out plan, but a plan that Enzo likes the thought of nonetheless. When is Enzo not fond of long drawn out trips anyway? He likes to drag them out as long as he can. He looks at the right, the red stairwell door calls for him, but he shouldn't take that stairwell today. Usually he would prefer to take the stairs one floor down and then take the lift lobby from there. But with him carrying a chair right now, the extra unnecessary step will just be a hassle. There is a lift lobby on this floor of course and it functions the same as the one below, but he hardly takes the lift here as it shortens his trip. He reluctantly turns left to the corridor to get to the lift lobby. Over there he depresses the lift button and looks out the window overlooking the row of tall trees that all stand far away from each other. The fog today is not as heavy as most days, so he can see further than most days. The lift arrives with a soft ding. He enters the lift with his chair, surrounded by the metal walls and it depresses the level G button. Patient as always, he waits and watches as the digital buttons above the doors count down until it reaches the ground floor. Carrying his chair with him, he exits the lift and then makes his way out the twin door. Outside, he stands in the roadside walkway and watches both sides of the road. Hardly any car travels this road, but it's better to be safe than sorry. He watches either side of the road and sees no incoming traffic. He watches either side of the road and sees no incoming traffic, and so he crosses over to the other side. Now he throws his gaze on either side to check if he is as far from the house on the right than he is from the tree on the left. Both the house and the tree deserve equal privacy, and so Enzo must find a space in the middle with a fair amount of distance between the two of them. That is where he puts his chair and then turns back around to make his way to the parking lot of his studio apartment. Before crossing the road, he watches both sides again for an unlikely incoming traffic. Of course, there are no cars passing by. Crossing this road is as safe as a ball pool for kids can be. He crosses the road, unscathed, and walks down the ramp at the side of his apartment leading down into the parking lot. He did not get to visit the stairwell today, but at least this parking lot never fails to greet him with its big warm concrete smile. 
Where his car is parked is on the opposite end from the ramp he had entered from. If he were walking at an average speed, he would reach there within two minutes. But when Enzo walks, he prefers taking his time. Indeed, in everything he does, he takes as much time as he wants to. What's the hurry? In this town, Palace Wish, there is no reason to do anything in a hurry. Nothing is going anywhere. As he walks, he casts his eyes at the empty parking spots he passes by. And there are a lot of empty parking spots in this parking lot. Today, there are only five cars on this level. That leaves the parking lot about 99% vacant. He eyes the slight discolorations in the walls. How the grey goes from darker to lighter to darker along the way. The many shades of grey. He looks down at his shoes at the thin cracks in the floor. He looks up at the red pipe lines above, how the white lights from the fluorescent bulbs reflect off the surface of the red pipelines. The lift lobby is coming up on his left. Only when he sees the lift lobby now, he can relate it to the glass room in the parking garage in his dream. The glass room was a loose representation of this lift lobby, wasn't it? From the size of the room, to the lighting inside, the two are very similar. His subconscious had taken a snapshot of this lift lobby and used it as a reference when creating the glass room. How wonderful the human mind. Within it, there is more artistic nature than one notices. When Enzo passes by the lift lobby on his left, he turns back around and approaches the door. He looks through the window in the beige door and at the black and white floor tiling. He looks at the light above at the many surfaces it illuminates, and at the many other surfaces it neglects, leaving them in the shadows. He goes to his car, unlocks it, starts the engine to warm it up, and then goes back to the window in the lift lobby door. Resting his head against the door frame, he watches the elevator doors inside. He thinks about the lack of work they have throughout the days. Are they sad? Are they happy? Are they okay being here? Would they rather not be an elevator in Pella's wish? Going back to his car, he leans back against the pillar beside his car and listens to how his car's rumbling reverberates throughout the large silent parking lot. There is so much unused space in this world. Is this good or is it bad? In Enzo's eyes it is good. Pella's wish is a sanctuary from a world that talks too much, makes too much noise, moves too much. Pella's wish is the perfect hideaway. No other silent sound can compete. Enzo enters his car, drops the handbrake and drives away. Winding down his window, he drives up the ramp leading out of the parking lot and onto the long road. Resting his hand outside the window, he drives fast enough for the wind to chill his fingers, but slow enough to admire the scenery outside. Five minutes in, the panorama motel is coming up in his right. Tilting his head down to look at the motel, he winds down the passenger window and slows down. This motel is on the edge of abandonment. Then again, it has always looked that way. Somehow, it is still here and still open. Swimming pools are a hassle to maintain, but panorama seems to handle it well enough to not look repulsive, but not attractive either. The same can be said about the rest of the building. It is sufficiently maintained, 
but not enough for the average passerby to stop and look at it. As far as Enzo knows, he is the only person who will slow down when driving past Panorama. To Enzo, Panorama is an icon of sorts. It represents how this town is a transitory place for many people. They come, they get bored, and then they leave. They only came here to find a direction in their lives. They came, they came for the silence, but not because they appreciate it, but because they need it. Because the thoughts in their heads are barking too loud. So they come here and they think about their life goals and their livelihoods. They need the silence to think, but they leave before they can appreciate it. Ansel stops his car at the roadside in front of the entrance. He looks inside at the swimming pool, how the sunlight glimmers white on the ripples of the blue water. Once he had sat there hanging his legs over the pool, dipping his toes in the water. The fog that time was heavier than most days, so the sunlight wasn't glimmering on the pool as it is now. He wants to spend night here sometime next week. He wants to sit by the pool again. But this week, he wants to spend his time in other places. After staring at the motel for a long minute, he turns his car back onto the road and drives off. Fifteen minutes later, Enzo enters his car with a cup holder tray carrying four cups of coffee, two black and two with milk. Sometimes, black coffee can get too much, too bitter and harsh, so milk coffee is a mild change. Now, since he is here on Monazuela Street, he might as well take a two-minute drive to where there are rows of abandoned houses, each decaying in their own ways and in varying severities. He goes there and parks his car in the roadside. When these houses were constructed, they were all uniform. From the looks of it, they were all blue and white at one point. Then came the new homeowners, moving into their houses one by one, and how they redecorated their houses to suit their own preferences. And then, one by one, they left the area and nobody new came. Prices for renting were too high, and the homeowners have probably left Palace Wish behind in their past a long time ago. Nobody wants to spend their entire lives in Palace Wish, even if it is their hometown. It is a place for passing. The house on Enzo's left has a big hole in the roof, and there is another in the wall underneath a window on the second floor. The windows in this house no longer have any glass in place. Instead, they are shattered, their shards scattered about. The house beside this one has glass in only some of the windows while the others are lacking. The other house on the other side of the previous one is not as decayed as the previous two. The walls are intact for the most part. There are discolorations, but nothing has been severely misshaped. The house on Enzo's right has a huge opening beside the door, so the door is basically rendered useless. The opening is big enough to carry a sati through it. Out of the three other houses Enzo has examined, and in the entire row for that matter. This house is the most deteriorated, but also one of the most charming. The charm is mostly to do with how it is deteriorated, 
rather than how much. It has been shaped into something ethereal. From the discolorations it had endured to the way the floorboards and treads in the staircase have disconnected themselves from the build that was meant to keep them in place. When spiders spin their webs inside this house, they have decided to build their home in another world. They may not get as many insects trapped within their webs here as they can elsewhere, but they get enough. They may not eat as much as other spiders, but they are living, not just surviving. They wander along the cracks in the walls, following those cracks down into apertures in the ceiling and floor. They rest underneath the floorboards where only a beam of sunlight streams through the hole they had entered from. They are at peace. Anza looks through the opening in the house and decides against entering it. Half the magic about this place is given to how little he has seen of it. If he were to enter the house, he may be disappointed because in his mind it is something detached from this physical realm. Sipping on one of the cups of black coffee, he gives the other houses in the row a fair amount of attention each, and then he fits the cup back into the cup tray holder, lets down the handbrake and drives off. As he leaves, he continues giving the houses equal attention so as to not make any of them jealous. Perhaps someday he will visit them again to see what new way they have decayed. Maybe he will visit another row of houses. This time he may enter a house or two, although he prefers to watch them from inside the car. Their auras are like scents. At a distance they sometimes smell better. Half an hour later, he returns to the roadside outside his apartment, where he has left his chair. He parks his car behind the chair, kills the engine and exits the car with his coffees in the cup tray holder. Placing the cup tray holder on the ground beside him, he withdraws one of the black coffees and sits on his chair, sipping on the coffee and looking ahead at the tree on the small hill. With a gust of wind, the tree waves at him, some of its leaves drifting away with the breeze that swishes past. Today is not as foggy as most days, but by the end of his lingering year, the fog should be dense enough that he can only see small portions of the tree and the hill. When this happens, if it happens, he will stay a while more to watch the view fade into the grey and possibly finish his coffee by then. At most, he has sat here at the top of the downslope leading towards the grassland for two hours. Today he aims to break the record, thus the reason he has set the chair here, so that comfort doesn't decline as much as it would if he were sitting on the floor. How would Enzo tell if he has broken the record though? He doesn't time his lounging. He will just leave when it feels right. Today he only feels that he can stay for longer than the longest he has stayed here for. When his first cup of coffee is halfway done, and Enzo takes his time drinking coffee too, the fog has gotten as dense as he had predicted it would. From where he sits from the tree in the distance, only dark shadows which are the leaves, trunk and branches can be seen behind the grey film. Not long after, the grey has gotten thicker and the shadows thinner. Soon after, Enzo has decided to finish what remains of his coffee with several gulps so that he can get ready to move on to his next destination. Then he picks up his cup tray holder from the ground and brings it inside the car. What about his chair? Looking up at the sky, he contemplates what to do about the chair. It shouldn't be too difficult, shouldn't it? 
In fact, it should fit right inside his car. In one try, the chair fits perfectly, upside down in the back seat of the car. It is now nighttime and Enzo is standing under a flickering lamppost in the parking lot across Lights Out Diner. Between the parking lot and the diner there is the road. The road is, as all places in Pella's Wish are, empty, quiet and dark. Passers-by who are not familiar with Lights Out Diner would think that it is closed, but it has only just opened. There is no difference in how it looks from when it is closed and when it is open though. Leaning back against the street lamp, Anzu gulps down the last of his milk coffee and then ambles over to the trash can at the far end of where he was standing. He throws the empty coffee cup into the trash can and then leans back against the tree trunk over there. From there he looks at the street lamp and at his car at the opposite end of the parking lot. His car has always looked like it is on the brink of death, but it has taken him to so many places. It is as if it is powered by magic. It is nearly a miracle how it is still functioning. The flickering lamppost cast its sleepy, wavering white light upon Enzo's car, glistening against the darkness of the woodland behind. Once again, Enzo crosses the parking lot to get over to the other end where the lamppost and his car is. Over there, he leans back against his car and looks onto the lights out diner. The signboard would be complete with a neon light illuminating the logo and title, but that is not the point of lights out diner. It is not meant to look complete, even if it is a functioning business. Through the horizontal wise long window, he cannot see a single person inside the diner, only the cubicles where the patron should be and the bar where there should be an employee fulfilling orders. There is nobody to be seen through the window. On the left side of the diner, there is a brick wall that stands at the height of where the diner's roof begins, and there is a narrow gap between the diner and the wall. On the right side, there is a bigger space between the diner and the other brick wall. The space is nearly pitch dark and big enough to park five cars, but there is only one chair in the center and two dumpsters against either wall, one against the diner wall and the other against the brick wall. Enzo pulls his car door handle to check if the car is locked or not, and then he walks over to stand at the roadside where he checks both sides before crossing the empty road. Then he makes his lazy way over to the single chair in the center of the space between the diner and the brick wall, before sitting in it, he checks the seat to see if it is too dirty to sit in it. It is dusty, but there is no wet dirt on it. Dusting off the seat, he sits in it and then stares at the brick wall before him. His eyes follow the grey lines between the bricks and the irregularities in the shapes of the bricks and the worn-out textures. His eyes follow the lines between the bricks all the way up to the top of the wall, and then his eyes wander up to the trees behind the wall, and then all the way up to the dark night sky above. After staring up at the sky filmed over with fog for a few minutes, he can now see some stars behind, tiny twinkling dots whispering for his attention. Resting his head back against the backrest, he fulfills the shy star's cravings for attention for a few moments. Now that the stars are contented, 
Anzo stands up from the chair and makes his way over to the entrance of the diner. Cupping his hands against the glass, he looks inside and still sees nobody. Sometimes even Anzo has to wonder if Lights Out Diner is closed, but he has come here enough times to not be fooled by how empty it looks. There are people in there, but their job is to remain unseen or, at least, barely seen. He pushes the glass door, takes a step into the clean, empty darkness, and then approaches the counter where there is a pen and paper. He writes in the paper, one black coffee, one milk coffee, one cold water, and then leaves it on the countertop along with several cash notes and enters a doored partitioned off booth. Some five minutes later, the soft knock on his door indicates that his order has been served in the tray attached to the door of his partitioned off booth. Instinctively, he quickly slides open the window panel to see who served his order. Not that he wanted to meet anyone, but he did so out of her curiosity. When he sees nobody there, he is impressed over how skilled the Lights Out employees are, as well as relieved that he didn't have to make any awkward eye contact with anybody. He reaches his hand through the wooden panel to take in his tray and then slides the wooden panel when the door closed again. While looking out the window, he sips on his beverages and lets random abstract thoughts flow in and out of his skull. Halfway through his second serving of coffee, the one with milk, he wakes up with his arms wrapped around his head. This concludes another typical visit to Lights Out Diner. It should now be time for him to leave. With a smile on his face, he exits the diner and stands at the roadside outside for a few minutes. He stretches and hears his bones cracking and popping. Taking a nap in Lights Out is always a different kind of satisfaction. It is not like most sleeps. When he sleeps in Lights Out, it is as if time stops ticking away and the world stops spinning. It is as if everything, not only himself, has taken a nice and long break. And when he wakes up, everything goes back to normal. Palace Wish is always asleep, but everything else needs a break too. So Enzo sleeps in Lights Out for everything else outside of Palace Wish to take a break. Checking both sides, he crosses the road and ambles over to his car. Over there, he looks up at the flickering light of the lamppost, and then down at his car. Did these two inanimate objects create a bond while Enzo was gone? Are they best friends now? No, it can't be. This car's best friend will always be the parking lot at home.